Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. I want to take you to what is a familiar story today in the scriptures. And I want to bring you this message. Um, it's titled, Pressure Produces. Pressure Produces. And while they get the slides for you for the next, for this, for my message, it is common discussion between Pastor Amy and I when we talk about our college years, um, that because I was not very skilled at typing in that stage of our lives, that I would put off to the last moment doing projects that required that skill. And so what would happen is that days before the project would be due, um, I'd burn the midnight oil trying to do my part in the project, which would be handwritten. The result of that would not make for a good spousal relationship because I would expect Amy to type it up on my pressured time schedule. Now, had I been more skilled at negotiations <laughs> and better relational interaction, I could have easily work my magic by simply saying, honey, I'll do the dishes and cook the meals for a week, but that would be a skill I would learn much later in life, unfortunately. Um, the point in this little story, though, is that you hear why I use this title. The pressure put on me for a due date to produce a paper, in this case, for college courses brought about a positive result. The pressure brought a positive result, not in every way, but in most ways. The pressure forced me, hear this word, it forced me to produce a project. Make a mental note. You ladies know a whole lot about due dates and pressure, right? Pressure that can produce great products. Or should I say amazing results. Say amen to that, ladies. You see, pressure can and will cause you to give birth to something that is amazing. 
You don't have to say amen right now, but you'll get it in a little bit, and, and yeah, you can say amen then. Something that, in fact, you would have never given birth to if it hadn't come under pressure or if you hadn't come under pressure. But let's face it, most of us don't like pressure. How many of you don't really like pressure? I'm assuming then that the rest of you that didn't raise your hands, you're okay. You're good with pressure. It's unpleasant, though. It's confining. It restricts you because you're, now I can't do fun stuff. I've got to get serious. No more playing around. I gotta buckle under the pressure. I've gotta get get serious and put some time and some effort and some energy into taking care of this issue that's creating the pressure. It can make you forget other important things. Forget so much so that you can become a jerk. That was my earlier illustration. Personal. You don't have the right to use that term referring to me, but I can refer to myself. <laughs> so we're going to begin by looking, what, looking at what pressure looks like. And this is the familiar part of the story. I'm going to apologize to you up front because I'm not going to be able to tell you the whole story. Joseph in the Old Testament is an amazing character. And I love preaching about Joseph. He impresses me on so many levels. But I want you to look at this one scripture to discover what pressure looks like. Genesis 37 verse 3 says this. Now you don't have those notes like I commonly give you, but you should have sermon notes in your bulletin that you can use, and of course you can always do it electronically. Genesis 37 verse 3 says Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Being Jacob's favorite, another word for loving Joseph more than any of his other children. But being Jacob's favorite would put pressure on Joseph. Put pressure on Joseph. And this was uninvited pressure, but it put pressure on him nonetheless. J Joseph didn't ask Jacob to be his favorite or have him be his favorite, but, it, but he was. And in this instance, being Jacob's favorite child brought pressure to Joseph and created jealousy. It creates jealousy. Now, I don't know if you've ever observed this. I have. I've observed that this problem can happen even in church. You can be favored of God, give your testimony, and have somebody be jealous of you and your testimony. Oh, it happens. Somebody will stand up and testify. What was it? You guys, 
your most recent testimony. What was it, like a $12,000 a year raise? Right out of nowhere. Just right out of just God, just bam. And that was the second in a series of testimonies that they gave like six months before that. Forgiven, what was it, 15 grand in school debt? 15 grand. That's favor. How many of you young people or not so young people are looking for that kind of favor? Favor can make you jealous, though, when it's on somebody else. When somebody else has got it, you can get jealous. And Joseph's brothers got jealous. They didn't like it. But it can feel good at first. Hallelujah. We like favor when it feels good, being the favorite. I said in the early service that at different points in our life, every one of our children thought they were the favorite or the others thought the other was the favorite. There's a point when our oldest, Mark, he was, he was given more. He was given more than the other two. Given more attention. He was the firstborn. I mean, my goodness, the guy was, he was born in December. His due date was right at Christmas time. People were thinking all kinds of weird stuff, you know. The pastor's having a kid in December. Hmm. In Bethlehem. <laughs> you see where this is going, right? <laughs> then the second child comes, Tyler. He was more amiable. He was easier to deal with. He was the good son. Just more manageable. In middle child, the bookend kids were tough. Little miss is sitting right down here, looking all sweet, princess, all that. Yeah, she and Mark, man, they gave us a run. Tyler was, he was easy to manage. Did good in school. Never got called. Never had any issues. None. He was just a good kid. So considered the favorite. But then along comes little princess. <laughs> and some people have commented that she had me wrapped around her finger. I won't deny. I prayed for the first child to be a girl. A lot of boys in my family's history. So I was praying for a girl. And when, when she got pregnant with our third child, which was not planned, this was my immediate response. This was my immediate response. Lord, not another knothead. It's all I can, just not another knothead. If I get a third child, it's got to be a girl. And when she came out, hallelujah. 
But Joseph being favored caused jealousy amongst his brothers and he becomes despised and rejected. This favor doesn't sound like fun, does it? Now, if you don't know the whole story, again, I apologize, but I can't give you the whole story. Just, just know this. Jacob had lots of children and many sons, and they despised Joseph when Joseph tells them his dreams. And ultimately, even his parents didn't like what Joseph implied when he described his dreams. Because when you're young, you don't really know how to handle these matters. I just mentioned my children. You don't really know how to handle these matters. You don't really know the whole picture. You don't really see it this, with clarity. My oldest son, Mark, when he was only about six years old, this is going back a good ways. He was born in 86, so somewhere around 92, the year 1992, he my, my brother, his uncle, came up from Florida, and uh, he just said to my son after about a day, he said, Mark, we're going to go to whatever, one of those toy stores at the mall. It was either KB or Toys R Us, I don't remember, but he said, we're going to go to that store, and you can have any one item you want. Well, in my head... I'm going, I'm thinking, I'm thinking big picture. I'm thinking this is serious. This boy, I know he's going to choose well, but I couldn't tell him. <laughs> couldn't tell him what to choose. And that was right at the time. We were probably four months into the introduction of Nintendo 64. I was excited. I thought, this boy, he's going to get himself. We're going to be one of the first people having this brand new thing. I was all excited. We go to the store. I sit outside. Now, son, you can choose any one thing in there. <laughs> choose wisely, my son. Roam around the store for half an hour. He's checking things out. He keeps coming back over to this aisle. I'm saying, son, over here, there's some cool stuff over here. Keeps coming back. He was really into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. boy reaches up on the shelf and he buys he gets four all four figurines nice. <laughs> about twenty dollars <laughs> there goes my dreams Lo and behold, just a little while later, he wants, of course, the Nintendo unit. So guess who's down for that? Now I'm on the line having to buy that silly $250. 
You don't know. You don't understand. You can't see the big picture. So he accepts something. He's all happy. He was happy. He went home happy playing with his Ninja Turtle figurines. I, on the other hand, not so much. Joseph is all happy. He shares his dreams with his father and mother and his brothers, and they reject him and despise him. You can do all the right things and still face trouble. But I want you to hold up a moment. Joseph gets sold into slavery. You need to know that. By his brothers. His own brothers sell him into slavery. His own brothers, his own flesh and blood, the people that should have supported him, the people that should have stood by him, the, the people that should have got it, didn't. But don't get sad too quickly because Joseph becomes the chief steward in Potiphar's household to whom he was sold as a servant, as a slave, if you will. He becomes the chief steward. That means that he was raised up. He was in charge of everybody else that served Potiphar's household. Obviously, Potiphar was a wealthy man. And basically, Potiphar just turned loose of things because he saw God's favor on Joseph. And he said, Joseph, you just run things. Because I know if you run things, they'll be run right and well. But then Joseph faces another pressure. Again, an uninvited pressure because Potiphar's wife begins to lust after Joseph. And so he faces the pressure of sexual immorality. She freely offers herself to him. And Joseph flees. He flees, which is, young people... When you're offered that kind of, it may look good, it may be what you desire, but flee like Joseph fled. Joseph still gets accused of immorality, even though he fled. She cries out of her hurt, out of her lack. Blames it all on Joseph, and Joseph gets thrown in prison because of he rejected her. How dare he? Don't you think Joseph at this point is wondering how this could possibly be God's plan for his life? I mean, possibly be God's plan for his life. Joseph would now face a third pressure. He would face the pressure of prison. And how many of you know prison doesn't seem like favor? Okay, let me try this again. How many of you know prison doesn't seem like favor? Say amen. amen. Remember he did everything right. He did everything right essentially. We don't know all of the ins and outs. We don't know his attitude. We don't know his approach. People say that Joseph was, you know, he was one of those people, he was cocky in his favor. Hopefully you understand that term. Just puffed up and, you know, I deserve what I'm getting. 
he had done everything right, yet in prison, favor is still on Joseph. Favor is still on Joseph. So the prison guards, even the people running the prison, see the favor of God on Joseph, and the next thing you know, he's in charge of all the prisoners. And because the Spirit of God is on him, the gift God had given him to interpret dreams causes that favor to come on Joseph once again. But can I say this? It doesn't have to look right or feel good to be God. How many, I want you to be honest with me for a moment. I know, I know how some of you would have been if for the right reasons, in this case, unjust accusations land you in prison, you would have been rebuking the devil. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, you can say amen because you'd have been in there. You'd have been all Pentecostal. Oh, the devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. I did everything right. And here I am in prison. This can't be God. God can't have anything to do with this. You'd have been rebuking the devil. You'd have called on all of your people. I need you to fast and pray. Forty days, forty nights. Water only. You'd have been all serious, wouldn't you? Because I'm in prison and I don't deserve to be in prison. You would have done it. I'm sure of that. And all this time, Joseph is suffering, and I'm saying all this time because it's clear that at least between the moment that Joseph is sold into slavery and the moment that he is freed, at least 13 years take place. 13 years. I'm not talking about days. I'm not talking about months. 13 years. And here's the deal. My second main point, pressure demands movement. Pressure demands movement. What do I mean by that? Listen, you can diminish under pressure. You can shrink back. You can uh, 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 avoid. You can push away from pressure. Because that's what most of us do. We don't enjoy the pressure, so we, we shrink back from, we avoid it, we push away from pressure. You can, in fact, collapse under pressure. It, it's used less often these days, but when I was a child and, and into at least my 30s or 40s, we used to call it have a nervous breakdown. Collapse. Under pressure. When someone you care about or even love adds more pressure, you may react rather than respond. What you're thinking, that sounds like the same thing, preacher. Totally different. React versus respond. When you react, you can easily lose your fruit. 
You know I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, all of those things. You can lose your fruit if you react. But if you respond, and you respond out of the Spirit or fruit, then people increase. But you can diminish under pressure, but you can also grow under pressure. <laughs> Joseph actually grew under pressure. It, maybe it was the first stop, maybe it was the first week after the first stop, maybe once he got sold into Potiphar's household, he thought this isn't too bad. I mean, I've got all the food I need. I'm being provided for. Don't have somebody looking over my shoulder every minute. I'm doing pretty good here. But he actually grew. And he may have come to at some point. I don't know if it was at the first stop. I suspect it wasn't at the first stop that he grew under the pressure. How do I know Joseph grew? Because of Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God. Say, but God. Never let this point be missed. Never let it be missed. God doesn't waste words in his word. When he inspires something to be written, it is what he wanted written. Genesis, written at the hand of Moses, you have to believe that this is God's word for us. Even still, he brought, but God intended it all for good. Say those words, all for good. What do you mean all? The selling into slavery, the betrayal by his brothers and even his family, the betrayal by them, the betrayal by Potiphar's wife and being sold now, or excuse me, put in prison unjustly, all for good. He, capital H, God brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So all the time you're rebuking the devil, the devil is a liar. I wonder if God's tapping on your shoulder trying to say, wait a minute, hold on. Let me work this stuff out of you. There's some stuff in you I've got to work out of you. Give me a minute. God's saying, give me a minute. Pressure demands movement, though. And Joseph grew. And you know what I like about Joseph? We never hear Joseph complain like Job. I think I got some notes for you. We never hear Joseph complain like Job did, right? If you read the writing of Job, and maybe Joseph had Job's writings. We're told that, they were that the first book written was Job. So 
Maybe, maybe Joseph was able to hear about Job. But we never hear Joseph complain like Job. David, he complained. Right? You can read some Psalms that are pretty... <laughs> He's upset. He's feeling pressure. And he doesn't like it. And Jake, excuse me, David tells people, all of us, for all of time, he doesn't like it. And he doesn't see how God's allowing it to happen or where God is in it. I don't get it, God. Why is the king chucking spears at me? Joseph doesn't complain. That's how I know he grew. There's never a word said where Joseph is complaining. Maybe Joseph realized he had messed up. You ever realize when you've messed up? Everybody raise their hand at this moment, say, yes, pastor. You realize you've messed up, right? If you're a husband and have been married then, you realize when you've messed up, when you wished you could take back those words. Just rewind, Jesus, rewind, Jesus, rewind. Perhaps I never really said that, Lord. And you wives are laughing, but you've done it too. Most of the time when you mess up, you realize you messed up. It's, you don't need someone to tell you you messed up. Somehow Joseph figured this out. Maybe he even thought, I got what was coming to me. Maybe he thought that. Maybe he was, had a bad attitude and, and maybe he was all puffed up when he was telling everybody, hey, let me tell you about my dream. All of your sheaves bowed down to me, to my sheep. <laughs> That's part of the story if you read the whole thing. But. I wrote this out and I put it up for you so you can get all of this. And I told the first service you may want to take a photo of this next slide. Because God's plans are bigger than ours, because his understanding is greater than ours, and because he sees the big picture, it may be that he takes you through a difficult time in order to produce something you never thought possible or even envisioned. So all the time that you're complaining or that you're wondering or that you're disappointed or that you're fighting uh, um, depression because of the pressure that somehow has come into your life, is it possible that God's trying to work something in spite of that? Is it possible that the King of Kings, is it possible that the Lord of Lords wants to use these moments even if you want to stand on the side of God couldn't possibly do this to me, at least give God the opportunity to use it to ultimately bring him glory or do a work in your life. 
Do you know that God is always tuned in to the eternal as it relates even to you? He's infinite. You're finite. Your time is limited. God is not. So where he places you in your life but his kingdom and what he wants to accomplish, boy, this is really good stuff. If God is using us in the great chess game of life, a good chess player doesn't think about one move. The really good ones can see every move that you could make. Those are the people that win those championships and, and all that. I don't even know. If I can't know their names, and some of you could care less. But you, if you've ever played the game of chess, there's a strategy involved, and there are pawns, there are rooks, and all of these, the knights, they have different capabilities. And God looks at all of us with our giftings, with our capabilities. And, and he will allow us to go through the pressure places so that he can then shift us from being just a pawn to becoming the queen that can make any move in any direction and do massive destruction with one move. And, and God can take those pressure places. And you call the devil whatever you want, but God may well be in the middle of it saying, wait a minute, I'm trying to grow you. I'm trying to develop you. You said, God, use me. You said, God, make me bigger. Help me to grow stronger. Help me to do more for your kingdom. And God may well take you through a pathway that doesn't look right, doesn't feel good, doesn't seem like it could possibly be God to bring you to that place. Sometimes we must submit to the pressure. Jesus did. Spent all this time talking about Joseph, but Jesus submitted to the pressure. Look, it's here in the Word. This is in Luke chapter 22. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering, please take this pressure off of me. I'm paraphrasing, you realize that. Please take, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Take the pressure off of me, Lord. I don't want to have to deal with these people's sin. I've lived my life justly before you. I don't deserve this pain. I don't deserve this anguish. I did everything you ever asked of me. Yet, I want your will to be done not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Look at that. We never talk about that. 
Jesus was visited by an angel in his darkest, most difficult moment in his life. An angel appeared and strengthened him. He didn't just appear like, ooh, isn't that cool? No, he strengthened him. He prayed more fervently. (laughs) When the angel came and strengthened him, the angel didn't say, okay, you're free. You don't have to do it. He prayed more fervently. We, our ability to, to, to interpret, sometimes we get messed up because God comes in on one angle, but he's trying to get you to someplace else, and you think, I'm going to do this now. Like, he could have stood up from that moment and said, well, I'm strengthened. Praise the Lord. Guess this is over. It's all cool, guys. Come on. Let's go have some food. Let's go sleep for real. No, he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Like great drops of blood. Submission is almost always a battle. How many of you out there are human? All a few places, no hands, but God bless you. If you're human, submission is almost always a battle. Even Jesus had some trouble with this one. Father, would you let this cup pass from me? Would you take this pressure off of me? Would you remove this pain from me? He was fully aware before he came to the earth why he was coming. So much so that even as a 12-year-old boy, he can say to his parents, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? Which sounds like a smart aleck remark if you don't know the real story. But he understood. Even at that age, he knew why he came to the earth. But here's the thing, knowing what to do and doing it are entirely two different things. And so while God will never put on you more than you can bear, come on, say it. He'll never put on you more than you can bear. That's what he wrote, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He wrote that, right? He'll never put on you more than you can bear. And while God will never put on you more than you can bear, you may not think you can handle it. I'll do that just because Rich told me to. God will never put on you more than you can bear, but you may think that he has. And so you may reject the work of God, the very thing that on the big chess game where God can move you from one position to another because if you get moved from that position, from this position to that position, now God can take you and use you in a greater way. But if you don't submit yourself to the move because of pain, because of pressure, because of difficulty, then you'll never be able to accomplish all that God intends for you to accomplish. You know what our problem is? 
we often don't even allow him the opportunity to move us. We don't allow him. How, how's that happen, preacher? Because we busy ourselves so much that we never hear his gentle whisper. I'm going to say that again. We're so busy, we never hear his gentle whisper. Can I say it this way? It's never God's ability to speak that is in question. Only our ability to hear. That was emphasized with the light blinking. That was perfect. Only our ability to hear. That's what's in question, not God's ability to speak. God's always speaking. We're rarely listening. I'm going to bring it to a conclusion. Pressure can produce amazing results. Every woman in here that's had a child, say amen. amen. Notice where Jesus is in this event, for this event. Notice where Jesus is. I want to differentiate between Joseph and Jesus now in this scenario. So as I conclude... Notice where Jesus is in this event. I'll remind you from Luke 22, verse 39. Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. I could have preached this whole message from this passage. Jesus left the upstairs room. What was the upstairs room? It was a comfortable place. He was there with his friends. They were having food. They were fellowshipping. They were enjoying time together. He left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives because he had to go some he had to go to the Mount of Olives, the place of prayer now, so he could take care of business on his knees. Sometimes you have to push away from the table of comfortability and fellowship and get your hands dirty. Because there are a few of us that have the insight and intimacy that Jesus did. Most of us will get to the, these places like Joseph did. Not by his own intent. I need to say that again because I know that that, that went past at least a few of you. Because very few of us have the level of insight and intimacy that Jesus did, most of us will get to this place the same way Joseph got to this place, not by his own intent. You're going to have to fall into God's plan rather than God just lead you into it because it's too difficult. If you know the path you have to take, you're going to end up taking it like Joseph did. Joseph would have never asked to be put into slavery, rejected by his brothers, their backs turned on him, sold for a few dollars as a slave. His resale value must have been pretty good that they could sell him to one guy and another guy buy him in another place at another time. 
And that's what most of us think of ourselves. We think of ourselves as such high value that, God, you wouldn't possibly put me through this pressure cooker of life. Like, like Jesus, sometimes you have to take care of business yourself. Oh, he invited his companions. He invited, in fact, his closest companions to join him in this place of prayer, in this the Mount of Olives. He asked them to come along. Because when you're going through some struggles, how many of you really, you like to have somebody that loves you to come along with you? Somebody that you think you can at least depend on to pray you through or walk this out with you and still love you. But I really want you to notice this. This is the Mount of Olives. Why is that significant? Because it's at the Mount of Olives where they press the olives, put them under pressure to get out the best oil. Oh, oh, see, Jesus always did things this way. There was always a double message. He always did things like this. It, Interesting, first, though, that this is the place he went to regularly to pray. Did you hear the scripture? As usual, the New Living Translation said, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray. As usual. All of those times Jesus had gone to this place was preparation for this moment. It was a visual, if you will, that Jesus was going to the place where they pressed the olives to get the best out of the olives. He himself was going to the same kind of place to be put under a pressure that he had never experienced in his life, so much so that when he sweats, it's pressing out. The very best of Jesus falling to the ground looking like blood. And he had to submit himself to that. He had to say yes. He asked. But he knew. He knew what the answer was. Jesus knew what the answer was. Because he knew I had come. Because if he didn't, you got to hear this, church. If Jesus does not allow himself to be pressed beyond human capability, you and I don't get saved. If he doesn't submit himself to this, the plan of God, you and I don't know God. We never hear of God. I've said this before from this pulpit. I don't want to take time to really go into the details of it, but the first church where I served as a lead pastor was a difficult work. I had just, I turned 30 like a week before I started 
to host services for that church. I had left this church as an assistant pastor. This church was doing amazing. It was, it was much like it is right now in terms of the numbers of people and, and things that were happening in the church. People were getting saved. It was a, it was a great place to do ministry. But, but uh, the pastor, the lead pastor left, and in a short period of time I left after him. That was kind of protocol. That's the easiest way I can explain it to you. And, and so we launch out into ministry life and people, the leadership at that church were difficult people to deal with. And I was like Joseph, young and a little bit cocky, coming out of a church like I was serving in here, things going so well, God's blessing and favor being on everything that we seem to put our hands to, and, and, and these people were difficult, and I didn't like it. Pastor Amy didn't like it. We were looking for the back door within two years. We were looking for the back door, trying to get out. And I, I have to give you a little bit of substance because you're thinking, how bad can they be? My second business meeting that I had to, that I had to conduct, they chose to use that as an opportunity to roast the pastor. So I'm conducting a meeting all while they are telling me, would you guys please take, yes. This is too critical of a moment to have a child interrupting. So while I'm standing there conducting this meeting, they're crucifying me essentially. And that's not how things are supposed to happen. That's not what annual meetings are for. We're supposed to be voting in deacons. I have to shut down the meeting. Say, this isn't right. It was a tough place. That's the short story. Do you know we stayed there two more years? Under pressure. Thinking this can't be God. No, we believe that God called us there, got voted in, believed we were supposed to be there, but like Joseph in prison, I'm thinking, God, this can't be you. This doesn't feel like favor. This doesn't feel like blessing. This, this uh, doesn't feel like what I thought obedience was supposed to produce. And yet, I can tell you now, let's see, we left there in 95, February of 95, so 24 years ago, I can tell you now that I'm a better preacher and I'm a better pastor because of that spot. How do you say that? Why do you say that? Because the preacher part of it, I had to produce three messages a week. That was the day when we had Sunday night services. Remember those? And, and Wednesday night service and, and, of course, Sunday morning service. So three, three messages a week. 30 years old, man, I was putting every bit of schooling I knew to work. 
I was grinding out messages like, you know, it would take me, and in that time, it would take me as much as 10 to 12 hours to make, to produce one message. I'm a better preacher, though, because of it. But I'm a better pastor because of that place. Because of some of the numbskulls I had to deal with and how I had to deal with them and what it was all about and what it was like. I had to let my fruit be born in pressing. I'm a better pastor because of it. So I want to round out this message. Pastor Mackay, you can come on up. With this passage of scripture that we all cheer, we all love, we all like it. Except when it means that we have to do what I've preached this entire message. But here it is, from the word of God, by the apostle Paul, to a church in Rome. And we know that God causes everything to work together. Can you say those words with me? Everything to work together. Here it is. Let's back it up. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So you know what your challenge is today? You're going to be moved by pressure. The question is the direction. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this. I'm going to say it. But you think about it before you stand up because I'm going to ask you to stand. Here's the question. Think before you stand. Lord, I'm willing to allow pressure places to move me in your direction. And if you are, stand to your feet. I'll let you do it. Seriously, don't stand if you don't mean it because this is saying I will walk through some tough spots and I'm going to depend upon you. I'm going to have faith in you that that scripture I just had up there is for real. All things work together for good. Now there's a there's a a point here, isn't there? For good to them. Number one, you love God. Number two, you're called according to his purposes. That means I'm yielded, Lord, to your plan, even though I don't get your plan sometimes. All things. All things. All things. What? All things. Prison can't look like good. Rejection by your brothers and selling into slavery can't look good. So maybe you're in a place that feels like that. Saying, Lord, I'm willing. 
God, you see the men and women. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here in taking the gospel, not only to the Lehigh Valley, but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.